Fish on. Hey, Radcast is on. And welcome to the show, Mr. Jim Zumbo. Gentlemen, I am pleased to be here, and I use that term loosely when I say gentlemen. Al Winder. Just want to welcome you to the show. Thanks for uh, taking time out of your busy schedule to hang out with us on a podcast for a little bit. I am looking forward to it. There's nothing makes me happier than a cold in Minnesota. If I can't be out fishing, I should be talking about fishing. <laughs> <laughs> Hailing from Wisconsin, Jenna Waller. Thank you so much for having me. It's Redcast. Hunting, fishing, and everything in between. Powered by Bo Spider. Brought to you by PK Lures and High Mountain Seasonings. And now, here's your hosts, Patrick Edwards and David Merrill. Again, Al, it's great to have you on the program. I do want to give a quick shout out to Danny Curtola, my cousin, for helping set this up with Al. That was a big deal. And Thanks, Danny. Yeah, so I really appreciate Danny. And Al, just want to welcome you to the show. Thanks for uh, taking time out of your busy schedule to hang out with us on a podcast for a little bit. I am looking forward to it. Nothing makes me happier than a cold in Minnesota. If I can't be out fishing, I should be talking about fishing. <laughs> it's going to be well below zero tonight. So, Al, that's probably one of the big motivations for Patrick and I to start this podcast is we both have young families and we're both avidly into the outdoors, whether it's fishing, hunting, or a little bit of both. So that's our goal is to recruit new anglers and new hunters to the outdoors. The timing is really appropriate for it. Yeah, we've got a whole new recruitment coming in because of COVID. Our sport has never seen before experience in the outdoors, and they need some guidance in a lot of cases to yeah, respect the resource. And that's an important part of what's happening now with these whole lot of these newbies coming in. Yeah, it's it's been fun to watch you over the years because you've really helped teach everybody about that. And I know as a kid, I always looked forward to outdoor life coming in the mail and also in Fisherman Magazine because that was the thing was I wanted to learn more about fishing. And growing up in Cheyenne, Wyoming, it was like a dead zone of fishing. There's really <laughs> not much close unless you're going to drive two hours to Glendale, three and a half hours to Seminole five hours to voice and you just forget about it. There's just nothing there. You talk about teaching people. I was reading that as much as I could because I knew when I went, I had to really capitalize on those trips. And you've done an amazing job about that. And I just wanted to know if you could just share some tips with us. What's some key strategies of getting kids and just other anglers out on the water? What are some good strategies and tips? Number one, make sure you take them when you can get them back. I can't hold eyes how important that is, especially with the younger ones that have short attention spans. And it is critical that barber is going down or something's pulling on the end of that line. And uh, that's one of the key. And even with new adults, and we have a lot of those, those coming into the sport now that have never fished before. And uh, yes, they have patience where the young people don't. However, their patience will wane after one or two trips without getting a bite. It's the biggest hindrance that I've seen to our sport. And your people, not, the key is getting a, a bite to light that fire. They got to catch something. And you don't want to take them out in miserable weather conditions. You have to weather good and do everything in your power to make sure that they get back. And the reason people fish and continue to fish is they had a good experience. And a good experience is something pulling on the end of their line. That's really the reason you're out there. That's what motivates people. It's the miracle of a fish. It is amazing to me my entire life in this biz to see what a fish can do to change somebody's life. Yeah, a, a kid sitting on the dock fetching bluegills, and all of a sudden, out of nowhere, 
a two-pound bass runs out from under the dock and grabs your bait. You never had, you're catching your six inch and having a ball and not as fast as there. You hook it, break where you land it, change your life forever. Somebody had <laughs> never met fish. Yeah, they heard something about it. They're going out with somebody that knows something about it. All of a sudden, next to the boat, this monster opens his mouth and bites on it. it it's an image that burns into your spirit that you never change. It never goes away. That's what lights the fire in this sport. And it's why it's so important that they end good weather to do it. And that's the key is to get them action. And then if they're really young, you know, after two, three hours, they like to think around in a live, you get a few fish around. All kids like that. They're fascinated with fish bouncing around in a live. And that's the key. It really is the key to keep them motivated and keep them fishing their action in a short period of time. And again, with the, the adult or even a young person, after, after, so you get them out for two trips, the third time, yeah, you're going to say, you want to go fishing with me today? They had two bad experiences. They're, they're going to go bad back and uh, play video games. So the interest won't be there. Well, I was fortunate enough to grow up near saltwater. And my dad, in the Pacific Northwest, we did a lot of salmon and halibut and deep sea. And I, I got introduced very young to fishing. We actually just had a podcast with my dad on talking about starting that fire that you're talking about. I'm, I'm curious, who was the fishing mentor in your life? The person that got you hooked on fishing? Yeah, actually, my brother is 10 years my senior, and uh, he took me everywhere from the time I was a little kid. He's seeing a, a burning passion. He shared that. He said there was something about it from the time you were little, you were obsessed with fish and fishing. And he nurtured that. He actually nurtured that. And, and him being 10 years older than I am, yeah, he took me under his wing. And I had some really good experiences in those years. One of them, that, that really fed my passion for fishing was my mother. And this is strange, but I got to share that story with you. My brother obviously loved to fish. Yeah, so he took me everywhere we could go. We fished all of the ponds and lakes and creeks and rivers in between Chicago and Milwaukee, and there's many of them. And we were out every moment we could go. go, go he'd be able to go away. He, he took me. But my mother really liked to fish. And she's seen, people would ask me at a young age, uh, what did you, you'd go to a Christmas gathering of family or friends like this, and this conversation, yeah, what are you going to do when you grow up? Boldly coming, I'm going to living fishing. That's what I'm going to do. And it'll look at you, oh, okay. Yeah, and blow it off. And my mother, she, under the guy, my brother, would, she, at Christmas time or birthdays or special events, every time, I, all my Christmas presents and gifts, were the latest, greatest fishing tackle in the industry. <laughs> Whether it was a rod, a reel, a lure, magazines, bo- books, anything that, that she fed that and fed it and fed it. Never said that's a dumb thing. How are you going to make a living in a fishing industry? Especially at that time, that many years ago. Yeah, And the only thing you get, you had tackle manufacturers and outdoor writers that at that time, one of the ins- inspiring outdoor writers to me as a kid was Jason Lucas. He wrote for Sports of Field at that time. And he wrote a book called Lucas on Bass. And I'll bet you I read it a dozen times. It marked every page. The experience is burned in, in, into my mind. On that. But experiences like that, and then television, I remember pioneers of TV, the TV fishing business, the first one. His name was Gadabout Gaddis, the flying fisherman. 
He was the first one that had syndicated television fishing shows. And he'd fly to different locations all over the country and share his fishing experience. Get about get it. And then that led to Virgil Ward, that was the true championship fishing. And, and he was the one that lit my fire to get into the fishing industry and do a television show in the business. I had, he was here in my hometown in Brainerd, Minnesota, when we had, we were starting Lindy Tackle Company. And his producer, his name was Jay, he gave us a call at the office one day. And he, he, he says, Hi, I'm Dave Chadwin. I'm, I'm with Virgil War, War Championship Fishing. We've been in the area for three days and we're having how we want to do a walleye show on jigs, Bassbuster gig. And he says, Can you help? But I understand with the lakes, you're a really good fisherman. Everybody says, Go call out if you want one. So I said, Should we do a show? I said, Absolutely. We went out. We got a phenomenal show shot in four hours. He got everything done. He's all happy. He, he took off and went back to Missouri. And, and we finished that. And my brother looks at me that night. We're talking. He says, that's great. He does a television show and talks about the lures that he manufactures. I said, we could do that. We got Linda. Why don't we start a television fishing show? And help us. That's what led our fire and got us into business. Let's go and keep me fishing. So that was it. That trip went. <laughs> we bought a camera. We met both camera, and my brother learned how to use it and how to splice tape together. And you were shooting with film at that time. You had to rewind these stories on how you get into the game and into the fishing industry and into the sport and the different aspects that are available. All you, you get these different stories from everybody that has is enough to make a living business. But I'll go back to what I said just a little bit. Just a, what a fish, just a fish could do to change somebody's life. Astounding to me how it happens all the time. One experience with a fish and, and, and just bam, your life is changed by it. Yeah, I, I agree. It's, it's an amazing experience. I, I remember catching fish when I was little and how it lit my fire. And again, I promised that I would do this on the podcast and I, I hope it's not lost because you hear this stuff a lot. But my friend Seth Ewing, who lives in northern Idaho and myself, we grew up just eating up your shows and the magazine, and it really did benefit both of us. He's an incredible fly fisherman, and he learned a lot from your fly fishing video that you guys put out with Dahlberg, and, and I love the smallmouth and the walleye and those kind of species, and so it's just one of those things where I, I hope it's not lost on you when you hear us say thank you so much for doing all of that because it really did inspire a lot of people across the United States and the world to go out and fish and to take other people fishing, which I think is really cool. One of the things that I always enjoyed and my dad and I always enjoyed watching you fish was just the joy on your face. You were always chuckling and laughing and having a great time. And we were just living vicariously through you as the wind blew about 70 miles an hour through Cheyenne, Wyoming. But it's just, it, it really did make a big difference. And I do want to, I want to ask about this because this is really important to David and I. We both have little kids and we take them out fishing, hunting, different activities. And you have kids of your own. And I know like he's very influential and big into the fishing business as well. But can you talk a little bit about what that was like raising your kids to be fishermen, but also raising them during that time that you're just so busy and you got all these things going on with the fishing world and the fame that you had going on. How did you manage all those things and still make it a great experience for your kids? They grew up in the business. They did. There's not all seven. Ryan had seven children. I've got two boys. All of the kids, even the girls, three of his kids are girls. They all 
served in the business doing something. Yeah, from the time we started Lindy Tackle Company, there were pouring sinkers and learning how to tie snells, <laughs> wrap them on cars. <laughs> they were exposed to the business as a family-run business all, all their life. When they grew up in, in, in different fields, you know, we did other things. But a number of them stayed in the business and are in the business today, like Jimmy and Danny and Billy and my son Troy. Yeah, and, and my daughter niece, who worked work as a, a PR group, still helps me write material and press releases and things like that. She's really gifted in that area. Yeah, but they grew up in the business. And that way you were able to spend time together. So they understood it. They understand the travel and the things that encompass the lifestyle. If you want to make a, a living, a good, comfortable living in the fishing industry, and the same myself, but I know many people recognize when I do know that that end of the business relatively well because there's similarities to to it. These days, it's a lifestyle business that you want to get into, and it encompasses a lot of time. It isn't a nine to five job. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You eat twenty four hours or something. You go to bed at night thinking, and I'm still today. I've, I've been in this all my life. There is not one single that goes by that I don't read something about fishing watch something about fishing, talk to somebody about fishing. It happens all the time. Not a day goes by where some aspect of it, it, it isn't touched in my life, a part of my life. And my closest friends are pretty much involved in the fishing industry. That, my closest friends are. That sparks a question <laughs> for me, Al, and that's I'm way beginning of this journey. I've got a small family-run company, but it's in the hunting outdoor space, and my boys are being raised growing up. We work, right? We have stuff to do. There's, It's a small family-run business. It's sure. not dad goes to work at nine and we're done at five and let's go do X and Y. But my question is long term for me, my dad took me fishing a lot and now I go hunting and now my boys are in a hunting company being raised. How did you see the transition of with raising these kids in the company, in the fishing industry? Have they stayed on and continued to fish and still thrive? Is that, was that a positive experience for them? Oh, yes. Yeah. Yeah. For a number of them. Now, there's some of them that it was not. I'll use my two boys as an example. My oldest son, Chorn, and, and it, it was not. And, and uh, he just shared with me. I'll give you my first experience with him. He was raised in the business. He worked in it, worked his way through until he went off to college in it. But he never was interested in fishing. Passion, in his case, was things that moved fast. Snowmobiles, motorbikes, four-wheelers, dirt bikes. This is what he loved to do. Sounds like we'd get along pretty well. That's what he loved to do. Troy, on the other hand, but from the time he was a little tiny kid, you could see the seed. He would be on the dock in front of our house here day and night, catching bass on frogs and and, and just running up and down the bank. He loved it from the time he was four or five years old. The internet never changed. He absolutely loved And I just think that God created us all slightly different with different interests it's a good thing you had one boy in the garage tinkering on motors and going faster and you had another guy you couldn't keep at the house he was taking his fishing pole and he was to the water at four and five and you have to as a parent you have to respect that i respect that they have to be their own person and and, and seek out the things and they all had that those different interest levels impacted their life as they were growing up and led in some cases to to what they're doing today. Again, my son Troy is into it in a lot of different areas. My oldest son, and interestingly, he, he, he liked, even as a kid, he loved living on the edge. 
right here. He <laughs> loved the excitement of the snowmobile race to death. He'd get so pumped on that. And today he's a paramedic. He's a wilderness paramedic and he's fighting fires in California. And he loves the game, man. <laughs> he likes he liked living on the edge. I get to me, I like living to, on the solitude of the lake. And that's what I really like. <laughs> I imagine. And I follow Troy on social media. That guy is always out doing something and he's an incredible fisherman. Multi species. Yeah. He's oh, just, man. He loves, he's just anything, anywhere, anyway. And he loves digging around in walking <clears throat> places. He's got rods, he's got pack rods, and no matter where he goes. He's carrying rocks. He sees a body of water anywhere, anything that could hold the fish. He just drives off on a side of the road and he goes fishes. Anywhere yep. as he's traveling around the country, that's with him. Yeah, because he spent, he spent some time out west, and I know he's fished some areas where I've been, and it's just cool to see that. And I do want to ask you a question about that. Everybody has some of those favorite moments. What was the, like a favorite moment for you fishing with your kids that you can recall? The years, I'll, I'll go with Troy. Oh, I'll give you, I'll, I'll give you a shoot. My oldest son that never got turned on to it. And here's one of the mistakes I made, made with him. There was a series of bass tournament series starting in Minnesota a zillion years ago. It was called the North Star Bass Tournament Tour. And when he was about four years old, I took him pre-fishing. Mary and I got a cabin on the lake and I took him pre-fishing for that tournament with me. And he had a Snoopy rod. He had a Snoopy rod then I had a white spinnerbait. And it was cool. We were up in the morning. It was, it was out, out a cool day, thinking around. He's dragging the spinnerbait through the water, and I'm, I'm trying to catch some fish. And then after a little while, I, I, I said something to him. We're going to move, move south. Are you having great? You, you want to go in everything? He's holding the rod, a little bit cold, and he looks at me. He looks at the rod. He throws it in the boat and looked at me again. I got the man and he said, you burned me out so bad. And so I think there's a balance there, Al, where, yeah, my dad took me steelhead fishing and I've got quite a few steelhead to my name. And if you, anybody out there knows steelhead, they can be finicky and tricky fish to catch. I The passion for catching them is gone. I've been wore out steelhead fishing. And I've seen this in the hunting industry where you get some guys that are pretty, have some prowess and, and are pretty successful. They take their 16, 17 year old son out and he shoots a, a world caliber elk. And 10 years later, he's not into elk hunting. He's into fishing or, or snowmobiling yeah, yeah. or something else. Those are all those images. Oh, the other side of it, story with Troy gives us what are the experiences. For a number of years, we as a family, uh, a number of us went up and we fished some tournaments in Canada, a rainy lake on the Minnesota Canadian border or another one in, out of Kenora on the top end of Lake of the Woods. And we fished some team tournaments up there. And over the years that we had fished that thing as a group together, Ron fished with one of his, his sons, Jimmy and Billy, two of his other boys fished together. Ron fished with Danny, I fished with Troy. And we look forward to these team tournaments every year up there. And we've won a number of them. And there, Jimmy and, and Billy won two of them back to back. And those weeks, the, the week of pre-fishing leading into that tournament, and that was the final week. Must have done that for them. It was the highlights of our trip to, together with all of us as a family together. And each one of us, every one of them, when I talk to the boys inclusive of Troy now, he says that was some of the most enjoyable experiences we ever had. And uh, all of us at one time or another did really good. Troy and I did a couple seconds and thirds in it. I did win one with him in California and when I had an opportunity to fish with him. Those times that we were in those events burn memories that they talk about still till. Yeah, and those trips are really important with father and a son. I know with my dad, we had an annual trip that we would take to Flaming Gorge and that always meant 
the world to me because we'd spend five or six days out on the gorge just fishing and not worrying about all the other stuff, the work and stresses of life. And I had told you in an email about a trip to Boyce and just those kind of trips just make a huge difference in a young angler's life. And it definitely makes it something that makes them want to come back later. And, and the, it just, it burns into your sphere. You get so excited. And then you, you think about it so often, these things you keep revisiting. That's in your mind, those are great experience. Yep, absolutely. And I wanted to touch on something else because we do try to help young new people in the get into fishing and whatnot. And what are some tips that you give people when they're going to a brand new fishery? and they've never been there before, what do you tell them to look for and what are some tips that you give them? It's gotten a lot easier these days because of social media. You can't be the local bites really. Your pre-fishing research uh, on lake levels and what the bite's been like recently, water clarity, satellite image, it is endless in comparison to what we had 50, 60 years ago. It was a whole lot through the changes that I've seen are gathering in the business of, of what to look for. But you could do so much preliminary work, get, getting on your computer, check, checking out Google Earth, going to local sites, hunting down to lo- local reports that give you an idea of what the bite is like and what they're biting on. Yeah, even to depth, depth preferences, that stuff today is, in most cases, these areas have a, a very dependable retail outlet. And that retail outlet is a great source of information. They don't hide stuff from people. They want you to have a good experience. And they have fishing reports that are done weekly. There's things that are posted through their retail operation. So they give you the most up-to-date information you can possibly get. And it is it saves you so much time by doing a little bit of homework. So, Al, you've got to fish a lot of places in your lifetime. What was one of your favorite destinations, one place you want to go back at this point so far? Uh, probably one of the greatest place that I would go get was a family bit family from went to Australia and we fished Barramundi and we floated the rivers. My wife stayed, she didn't go in with us when we went into the jungle and we did a three-day flow. <laughs> but I had my two boys with me and we floated the rivers for Barramundi. And we camped at night on the banks and stuff. And it was going through the, you'd see the Aborigine. You would thought these people would come to the river. And you see these saltwater. <laughs> yeah, it was an amazing ex- experience. We fished out of the very tip of Queensland. When, what, with the river for Barramundi was the guy that we were with had a massive John boat. And I think if I remember that, we had a 60-foot power motor on it. And we went, we took off out of, out of Tipper, Queensland, and we went out, I don't know how many miles, 30 miles or so. It was in between there and New Guinea. When we had two oceans met, and it was like a boil there. there, there I've never seen so many fish in my life. And I, we got spooled and stuff. So it's a good thing we had backup equipment. I don't even know what fucking. <laughs> it was an unbelievable experience. That in there, and then we fished GTs, the Great Barrier Reef. Yeah, a couple of days we did that top water fishing for GTs. But that was the most, probably one of the most memorable trips I've ever had. And my boys were old enough to remember that and enjoy it. And I've never been back again. I've never been back to Australia again to, to do that. sounds like a lot of fun to me. Oh, man. It was <laughs> exciting. It was really exciting. Every day was a cool adventure. Oh, man. And that's one awesome thing about fishing is whether you're going out your back porch to your little pond, or for me, it was... We went to Alaska a couple times in my teenage years. Dad took us up to Prince of Wales Island. And those, you can either go on a short little 10-minute trip 
around around the corner and fish a, a canal right by your house, or you can go halfway across the globe and go to Australia. The opportunities are endless, and every one of them is special in its own way. When every fish is special in its own way. Incredibly gifted anglers. Jimmy and Jeremy are hardcore musky nuts. They love it. This is their fish, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 12 months out of the year, they're, they're on sites. They're always thought, where's the musky but What's next year? To where they're planning? What's <laughs> Shoots are and, uh, that, that, but every one of us. Yeah, my my fish of choice is a smallmouth bass, and then I'll go to a walleye and a largemouth after that. And I enjoy musky fishing, but not like these guys do. I'm yeah, that's their deal. And we got guys crappy fish that that love crappy fishing. That I'm more favor with Troy. I like a little of everything, and in every case, everybody in our office, sometime throughout the year goes and jerks some jaws on a carp. We, we all will get a carp bite in one, two, well, at least two, two, two times, at least. Yet something different, something out of the ordinary. And we'd go catch some carp and, and pull. They're fun to catch. They're challenging at times. There's a lot of different ways to get them. Yet it's something I would not want to do every day. I like to mix it up. I like to catch a lot of different kinds of fish. I can't do one, one thing. I like the variety. But on carp are a fascinating fish. And I still, in our country today, in the States, in Europe and different places of the world, they're, they're a big deal, especially the European nation. That's the money thing. That's like our bass here. It drives the market in many, many cases. Something silly, in some offbeat little, little places, me and Troy will, will go around when I visit him. And he'll take me to these shore fishing spots and little times. We mainly go carp fishing. You mm-hmm. jump in, you see him in the afternoon. We'll go think around for three hours, four hours. And he has some offbeat places. He learned that when he was in Arizona. Four years he went to college there. He learned all the inner city lakes. He didn't have the boats with him then until I come down with a boat. Yeah, you know, so all during breaks and classes, he found every single nook and cranny that had fish in and around the entire Phoenix area. And believe me, there was a lot of them. There was a lot of little ponds and stuff. And it was, but he had carp, it had a moor, and your standard run of carp. It had, they all had bass. Yeah, and they had largemouth bass in there, and they had bluegill in there, catfish. So we just dinked around shore fishing. That's where his love of, of bank fishing all developed. Those four years he went to school there, all he did was bank fish all the time. <laughs> and it was just fun. I would love to go do it with him. I, you know, I got the greatest in the lake greatest toys in the world on my one. I'm rigged out with everything you can imagine on the boat. You yeah. know, the latest technology and everything. And there's a whole lot of times, it's just a whole lot of fun to go beat a pop pond fish for sure and go get some carp. So I was going to ask you, I've always wondered this, and, and I'm sure you've talked about it before. Everybody's got their favorite method of catching a fish. If you could catch a fish in any, I know you love the smallmouths, I love the smallmouths as well, but if you could catch a fish in any type of presentation what's your favorite a jig yeah, yeah. No yeah absolutely no question no question whatsoever <laughs> i remember watching you on it was a walleye video and a bass video just catching tons and tons of fish on those jigs so i had a feeling it might be jigs for everything whether i'm walleye smallmouth largemouth bass pike some version of jigging for musky done done with tubes and big rubber baits it's a jig and a jig i don't think there's a better way for all kinds of fish all the time anywhere of one style, one family of baits. Naturally, there's a lot that comes under the heading of a jig. But sure. yeah, yeah, you know, it's a, a piece of lead of some kind with a dressing more out there to water, and it, it might be a, 
a one sixty fourth of A purple mylar jig will work pretty go- good for steelhead, but uh, <laughs> I'm preferential to topwater dry fly stuff. I like to see that fish commit, come out of the water. That's just, I did enough wet fly fishing that I... Patrick knows we've gone on some high mountain lakes, and I just, I really like to fool that fish to come up all the way out of the water. That's it. it is, well, any kind of topwater fishing, yeah, like from muskier smallmouth or largemouth, there anything. Rare occasions, pike get on a good topwater bite. Yeah, those are. If you want to be consistent year round, yeah, you got to get beneath the surface of the water. <laughs> My biggest pike was, I had a 53 inch pike, and this thing was monstrous. And it was Lake Larry Dahlberg. He was filming when we were at Ritter, and I got it on a buzz bait in the back of a cut in shallow water. You talk about a memorable experience with that. And Larry's been everywhere to do everything. And he still thought about that. that he, he says that pike was, it was an unbelievable scene. And, and that, you know, 53 inch pike is, it, we figured that fish, fish was mid 30 pounds, 35, 38 pounds, something like yeah, maybe even such. It was gigantic fish for a bite. That was the top water fish. I had a buzz speed of all. That would be a lot of fun. Now I'm like, wow, <laughs> that sounds like a blast. But I want to change gears just a little bit. One of the things that I've admired about you for years is that you're not afraid to talk about your faith. And I think that's a very important thing. And I want to see if you could share just a little bit about your spiritual journey and how God has played a big role in your life. Yeah, absolutely. The two most important parts of my life, and I share, share it all the time, it's fishing and my faith. They go hand in hand. Every day is, is part of my life. I integrate what we do with the television shows. The impact that it, it I'll try to quickly for you. Until the time I was 35 years old, I was a person that was not an atheist or an agnostic. I probably would have favored more. Definitely not an atheist, and I don't believe anybody that spends any amount of time in the outdoors anywhere can be an atheist. I they think that's an impossibility. But I had no really, I was obsessed, and I guess that's the only word I could use. I was obsessed with fishing 24-7. That was all that, that's all. And our businesses were building at that point in time. And at 35, I started to get a tugging in my heart to, to like the Spirit of God was just tugging in, in my heart. I met people that turned their life over to the Lord, Lord, that were hard party, hard drinking people that I knew, hard partiers, when they were like a different person, night and day, and they started to talk to me about Jesus, God, forgiveness, stuff I never heard of before. But, but they're really, and it may sound dumb to a lot of people, but you got to understand that. Nothing, really knew nothing. And then I started the search. Mother's life got into, he got booze. He had a heart, booze much of his life. And one day he turned his life the Lord has forgiveness for his sins and, and says, Lord, help me. I can't do it myself. I need your help. I need your direction on this thing. Guide me. And he made a confession of faith. And I see he had done his life. And then for about two years, I wandered around. I studied the word of God. The Bible became challenging thing to me to get through little things like, could this really be real? So many people. Is this Bible, could this stuff really, is this thing real? Is is there a guy, the foundation, this guy they call Jesus, who's the foundation of this thing? That he really is, is he who he says he is? Did he come for the reasons he said he did from beginning to end? Yeah, when I started looking at this stuff, and one day it got out of, that got out of my head into my heart, and it was never changed for the last 40 years. All I can say is, if you truly search, he's real, he's there, he loves, and he cares, and he'll experience. Yeah, at the point that he's got to get out of your head and into your heart and become real. What's a part of my everyday life? I'm not ashamed of the gospel, and uh, I share it openly, and that's who I am. And I can only share the experience that I and how it in my life, my family, 
my outlook on business, my outlook on life, my, my relationship with my wife. And the older I get, the clearer and easier it is for me to be more appreciative of, of my walk with the Lord. So, Al, I've got a question, and it's I'm going to hyposit it this way. As starting my own business in the outdoor industry and, and walking in faith, how has that affected business decisions and just living in the limelight and outwardly expressing your faith? Is there ever moments of doubt? Because I in, in today's society and day and age, it's definitely not something that's widely accepted. Are you saying everybody has to kick back? Yes. But what would be your advice as far as just running a business and walking in faith? Okay. I, I have, if you look at the marketing partners that I have, every single one of them, from boat, motor, rod, reels, lures, line, electronics, are the top, right at the top of their field in their individual categories. Every one of them. And we've been with them for many years. Some of them almost my entire career. And I've sat in corporate boardrooms all over the country, go, going o- over television states, o- over television network and contract signs that were with these me- mega conglomerate corporations. And I think never have I had one of them say anything about my confession of faith on that show at all. Most of them have said they appreciated it. And go for it. And one of the reasons for that is, is and I'm not, and some of them are not people, but they are business people. And the bottom line is, I sell stuff for them. That's what, but I sell stuff for them. I do my job for them. I do it with excellence. That's why they don't. So it's all. I only I had one major challenge with a network was with a network. And Jared Jones, they, they, they didn't want me talking about God. That was the words that they came back and they said that, that interesting. The way they did it, notification. We played on this network for a number of years. And this particular year, our contract went just the way it always had. And we had five weeks into the show, and it was a, a Wednesday afternoon when I got contacted by the president of the network. And he said, so we're going to pull the show because of your religious stance on it. We don't believe it's what we want our network anymore. This was on a Wednesday. We did, I managed. They did this. They were going to pull it if we did. We did we re-edited everything. I re-edited everything. It, I, I had contracts signed with a bunch of sponsors, and I had to deliver the numbers in there. So we re-edited that show, and I got Friday night to air on that weekend. The entire re-edited version, and we continued. Our attorneys said, you got, you know, you've been with you. They wanted to take it to court. They said, you you can't beat it. You got you ran for five weeks already. You did this for years. They never did it. They can't do this for this thing. And I talked to Ron and my wife and Dolores and his wife. No, we'll go through it. They don't want you there. There says I don't want to be there. If I don't want to be there. But they want us to be pulled off. They want to beat us on this thing. What we did got the show to them. We made the changes. In our last end of the contract for the television season, we sent them a bill. They said that the, the bill airing on it. It came to us and we sent them a bill. We billed them back for the editing changes we had to make. Sent it back. I never heard from that them. I, I, I didn't pay them for the networking airtime. I charged them back for all of the pain and misery went back through it. No legal, nobody called us back. Not a single thing. The legal department, nobody from their legal, nobody. Never heard from them since. Yeah. And I'm really glad that you guys, you and Ron have always been good about talking to people about your faith and it's been a centerpiece of the show and one of the parts of the show that I actually look forward to a bunch is the very end when you go through whatever God lays on your heart and I really yeah. just want to yeah. say thank you for doing that because you know we need to be able to 
talk about these things. And it seems like culture is trying to move in a direction where they don't want you to talk about stuff that might offend somebody, but it's these are things that we should all be talking about. If that's part of your life, that's an integral piece, you should be able to talk about it. And, and there's one, one thought I have on that, Patrick, is to speak, to have speech, to have thought, you risk being offensive to mm-hmm. someone. And if we're just going to walk around muzzled in mass and never have a conversation about anything, I'm into big game hunting. That can be offensive. Catching right. fish yeah. can be yeah. offensive. We yeah. have to push back. We have to. Yeah, because yeah, they'll run over you, you know. And I'm a big, in an immediate business all my life, I'm a big believer of freedom of expression, freedom of speech, even if I don't agree with it. So am I. Even if I don't agree with it, you still have a right to share it. I understand and I respect that. Yeah, and I think that's something that people need to remember is that just because somebody says something you don't like doesn't mean you have to agree with them. You can just choose not to listen to that person. There's stuff that's put out all the time that I don't listen to and I don't want to be associated with because I don't agree with what their stance is. And there's plenty of stuff that I do love to watch and listen to that I do agree with. There's people that disagree whether you should catch fish on spawning beds or not. We right. can get in an argument well, about that. You, you know? can get when I, you can easily get on. I, I, like I said, said I, I respect our, our freedom of speech and expression is an important thing. I've been in a media business my life, all my life, and people have a right to share that. I have a right to like it, to, to tune into it, shut it off, or do whatever I want with it, not read it. I can exercise my own decisions. I'm not going to go in there and call their sponsors and say you shouldn't sponsor them because you're doing this. That I'd never do. Yep. And I think that's something that needs to be heard. And I'm glad that somebody, I'm sure a few people will hear it on this podcast, but what you said is very true. We don't need this cancel culture of things. People need to be able to share and people need to be adults about it and mature enough to handle it and choose what they want to listen to and what they don't. That's, it's really part of the backbone of what our country was supposed to be about. And anyway, I do want to change gears just a little. A guy that's been really influential in my life on fishing is Pat O'Grady. I met Pat, oh man, it's probably been 12, 13 years ago and he was getting his company started and I jumped in and helped him out with PK Lures. And he had had told stories about you coming out to Wyoming and doing some fishing. I remember reading in the walleye wisdom books about Seminole and a few things. So I just wondered if you could share a little bit about coming out to Wyoming. Uh, The Western states are so different than Northern Minnesota world. And you mentioned it to a you mentioned alluded earlier. One thing that I had to get used to was the never ending wind. And uh, if you go, if you're going to fish there, then, then it better get used to wind. Better not bother you. Better <laughs> to rig the boat right, right to handle it and, 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 be, and be in a safe piece, be a piece of equipment to handle wind. And because it seems, I don't know if you you guys ever go through three straight days in a row where you will have a calm day. Never. I don't think no. they'll ever have. I go to archery shoots and I have people say, "I'm not shooting in the wind," and they start complaining. Oh, the wind's blowing. I say. You come to Wyoming, if you don't shoot or hunt in the wind, you just don't go hunting. The joke on the PWT, we go to the Dakotas as an example. Oh. You look at the weather report the night before, that they say the wind will be from 15 to 25. That means it's going to be 40 plus. mile an hour plus. That's what you're going to get. Oh boy, that's <laughs> the truth. And you talk about Seminole. That is one of the windiest places, I think. In the lower 48, the wind speeds on that reservoir are ridiculous, but I'll tell you, the fishing is phenomenal. How many wind turbines have they put around it? Yeah, they put a lot of wind turbines around that sucker. For good reason. Those western reservoirs grow phenomenally big fish. 
Hey, we're you trying know, to keep that a secret, Al. Donkey Kong fish. It's amazing. <laughs> and even some very, I'm a smallmouth nut. I love smallmouth fishing. The smallmouth world of smallmouth fishing is as popular as it's become. The tournament organizations that have really, they come up north and they had a taste of smallmouth fishing in the Great Lakes, and now they're coming everywhere to experience it in the tournament fishermen. Love it. The smallmouth fishery that exists west of the Mississippi River is still some of the most unexplored smallmouth fishing in North America, the systems, yep. river. In the western states, many of those reservoirs got phenomenal smallmouth fishing. I, I like to tell, tell this story. I've told it a couple times. There's a river in Oregon. I won't give the name, but I'll email it to you. We a drift boat floated it one day, and I hooked 60 smallmouth in a day, and I got tired of jigging for them, so I put on a mouse pattern I tied, and I caught half a dozen smallies on a mouse pattern, just throw it right against the bank and start stripping it out. And they'd, that river, this drift boat only, so no motor boats, and that, that can be a lot of fun. Those are their sparkly gems out there. And some of the bigger systems, you take the Missouri River system as, as an example. you got Fort Peck, you got Cypress. Uh, uh, these are massive bodies of water, mm-hmm. you know, massive systems. And there's spots in, in, in there that the smallmouth, but nobody, there's coves that they won't see an angler in there all year. <laughs> nobody will be there. Fort Peck yeah. is one of the most remote fisheries I've ever been to. And I'll tell you what, there, there have got to be miles and miles of shoreline that never get fished and there's never mad- under skis when you get up there and run way up that even if the dry arm it's a, the dry arm the short that arm is about what 40 i think that's 40 miles long yeah and then you got that main arm is 160 miles long there's one and very few accesses oh yeah, yeah you're right i remember we had a tournament there and what really got my attention i had swam up way in the, no it was cabayas they ran way he came he brought the swam up in with this bad to fish so we could wait. It was like a 6-3 or a 6-4. This was that smallmouth. That many, he went to weigh it on a scale. And I didn't the smallmouth pick me up in the summer since I couldn't even pull a bottom out. He had to leave some of the structures. He said the smallmouth were driving us crazy. Oh, yeah. there's a ton of them in there. That's an incredible fish. Like you said, they're miles up. It is the most untouched masses of untouched smallmouth fishing in those three reservoirs. Not to mention some of the other. There's one in Idaho. I forget that one that there. Yeah, they believe, I think they, they believe the next state record for sure come out of there. I can't remember the name of it. If you said it, I would know it. Yeah, there's some, yeah, there's some fantastic fisheries out here. And I know just in Wyoming alone, you've got a number of really good reservoirs for walleye and a couple for smallmouth that are really significant and a whole bunch that are good for trout out of various species and of course you got flaming gorge with those humongous lake trout and that's an incredible fishery too well we we touched on it earlier in in the gorge isn't there small mouse in there yeah they've taken a dive the they think that the burbot that made their way there somehow somebody moved burbot down there into that drainage from up probably around this area and they just haven't they haven't done as well they were doing really well in the early 2000s i used to go down there with my dad and we'd catch some up to four or four and a half pounds and now it's pretty hard to find them. They're still there. They're just not in the quantity that they used to be. Well, it's something that happened environmentally then. Yep. So the, there's something to be said for that. When I grew up steelhead fishing, you, you'd spend a lot of hours. And when you finally hook into one of those 30, 40 inch fish, they take you for a ride for a while, but you can fish for two, three, four days before you even catch one, hook one. Yeah, people hook up. You go smallie fishing, and those fish are so dang aggressive. It's fun. 
So yep, there's a little reservoir here in Wyoming that kicks out around five pound fish pretty regularly. And I went there with a buddy of mine one time and we were fishing top water. I think between Josh and I, we both got probably 80 fish a piece just fishing little poppers on the surface. And it was just a lot of fun. And then that thing that you talked about, Al, that happens in Wyoming happened and the wind came up and was blowing really hard. And we had to get off of there. But You're holding to the gunnel of the boat for your life. You got your jacket oh, on. And- we got wet. I'll tell you that much. We got wet. But what's next? What's in the future? What's What are you planning? What's coming up? What do we should we? I'm getting a little long in tooth here and there. The age is starting to show. I'm slowing down a little bit. I said, I tell me and Jimmy, we go musky fishing. Got me for four hours. I ain't going to go on a 10 hour marathon throwing two pound rubber bait. That ain't going to happen. You're only as old <laughs> as you act, Al, just so you know. I'm going as strong as I can. My body doesn't want it. My body don't want to receive that. There's things that are wearing down a little. <laughs> I think that's <laughs> wisdom speaking too. I feel a little of that in there too. So I have to pick and choose a little bit more. But I still love it. I love the game. I, I mean, as long as I can contribute to this sport in a positive way, I'm, I'm going to do it. I'm not going to I'm not going to quit. I'm not going to retire, but I am going to cut back. And by cutting back, I want to do more fun fishing on the shows. Jimmy, Jeremy, the, the staff and other people we work with. I'd like to see Troy get a little more involved with this stuff. These guys, are you pick up the ball and run. I've been on the front lines long enough. I want to fun fish a little bit more. Mm-hmm. And by that, go do some things on places. A lot of them are bodies of water that I'd like to go to and play around a little bit that I haven't yet an opportunity to do. And yeah, a lot of people filming don't understand that when you're going fishing for the weekend without a camera crew, that can be quite pleasurable when you're going filming for an episode that can be when you got to redo takes or redo when you just want to go explore you got to make it happen man yeah you got to make it happen it's work and people don't they they sit in their living rooms and watch that and go oh they were just they turned the camera on and went and had a fun time (laughs) there's a lot of hours behind the scenes when the camera's off of work and then, then there's like the dressing. A lot of times, a lot can happen on a hot bike. But then when you dress the show after, that's when you get the underwater camera stuff out to fit the scene where the fish are coming in to get the right drone shots and the environment. Those all add to the editing and make it a little more exciting. The music tracks that go with it. The music is so, and a lot of shows don't use music because you have to pay. Uh, it costs us $30,000 a year to use a music track. So yeah, I'm, yeah, that just to the music track because of the royalties on it. Yeah, Al, my, my company's right in the, this is our very first go. My dad and I went sheep hunting this last fall. We hired a cameraman and we took him and I'm learning very quickly of the shortcomings of we didn't get B-roll shot here and this extra shot here and getting that underwater shot or that overhead shot that you need and really hard now to recreate and get those extra shots that we need to produce the film that I want to produce. To make a real exciting piece, you bet. That B-roll is goals, man. (laughs) Putting the actual easiest part is actually catching the fish and getting that part of it done. Yeah, catching the fish on film is the easy. And then everything else is putting it together. It's all done in an editing suite, man. The more things you have to complement the show, the better it becomes. Yep, and we're struggling and we're stretching it as as thin as we can. but, But it's fun, man. It's yeah. fun. It, it is a lifestyle worth living. Believe me, I, I, if you could do it and you find a way to get your niche in there and make a buck doing it, and this is a lifestyle business for a lot of people. If you if money is your motivation and you want to get rich, don't come to the fishing industry. Here's the lifestyle. Some of us, you can make a good, comfortable living, 
But if money is to go to Silicon Valley or to live in that world uh, out there, if you want to be able to go out and enjoy the, the great outdoors and ha- have a comfortable living, living this lifestyle, the fishing industry and the hunting industry, you got a better choice. You will never regret it. Couldn't have said it better myself. <laughs> I have one more question, and this is a really important question, Al, because on this podcast, we talk a lot about recipes and we talk about food. Eating. I'm sure you eat fish. I, I, oh, yeah. I'm positive of that because it's so darn good. But what is your favorite fish species to eat and how do you like it prepared? It's real simple for, for me. You know, I had it three nights ago. Uh, again, it's perch. Okay. perch just fried right up perch. Beer battered perch. Oh, sounds pretty good to me. <laughs> a can of beans, some some cream corn on the side, <laughs> side with it, and it's like eating a. It's better than a lobster dimple as it gets. It sounds and like it is always. Yeah, it sounds like you've been to an Edwards family dinner because that's what we do at my house: <laughs> the fried walleye, perch, and crappie, and some spicy beans. Oh man, fresh perch. Are, it, it, they are, it, it's still you can salivate thinking about it. Now. Yeah. I'm so excited when I say we're going to get perch. I get for. Guys came back from a leech wet lake and they were on a good perch bite. You want some damn talent. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. And again, I just want to say thank you again for coming on the show. We're really grateful for you. Not just the impact you've had on our lives and whatnot, but just I know how busy you are. And I'm grateful for you taking the time to spend with us today. No, it's fun. I really enjoyed the opportunity, guys. Like, like I said, if I can't be fishing, the next thing I want to do is talk about fishing. And when it would have gone about 10 below tonight, I'm enjoying, I enjoyed our time here today and another opportunity sometime. In fact, you might want to get here, but you might want to get some, sometime you're looking for another guest. You can shoot it a hold of Jimmy or Jeremy that are outstanding. And I know they didn't with you. I, Troy, you want to get to Troy, get, get into some real offbeat stuff. Yeah, I love I all those guys. I, Jimmy and his musky fishing, Jeremy, those guys, I'm really jealous because out here, we just don't have access to purebred muskies. It's just, we don't have them. I watch those guys and I watch those shows and I just sit there and I salivate and I cry a little bit because I really wish I could be there, but man, it's sure fun to watch those guys catch them. When the fall musky bite turns out, I'm telling you, they, they get that it's ha- happening after the turnover and they get, they get in that fall musky their eyes turn glassy. You can't even talk to them. Like they're out in space. I, I can <laughs> appreciate that. Patrick knows when fall elk season rolls around. Yeah. David's gone. David with fall elk, he's gone. But Al, I will I'll tell you, if you make it out this way, we'll put you on some fish instead of just talking about some fish. I love it, bro. I like it, man. I'm in. God bless you and be safe on your travels this year. And I look forward to watching more of the Linder Media. So I appreciate it. Hey, thank you for the opportunities, guys. Everybody have a good safe season, Al. All right, Al. Thanks a lot. Bye, Al. Bye-bye. So I think we should keep rolling for a minute. We'll wrap this show up. I do have to tell a story about Al. I'm really glad he came on the show. And my first and only time that I've seen Al was at iCast in 2011. And I was working on my laptop and I was up at the Las Vegas Convention Center and I was sitting on the side. Which is a huge building, by the way. Oh my gosh, it's enormous. I'm sitting up and out of the way, trying to find a quiet place so I could get Wi-Fi and do some work for Pat O'Grady and PK Lure. So I'm working on it. And I see this guy come off the stairs and I see that it's Al Linder. And I'm like, oh man, that's Al Linder. I want to go say hi and say thank you. And so I get up and I start to head that way. And I kid you not, it was like a stampede. Like the ground shook, the sky got dark. There was all these people that just came from every direction and cut me off. And it 
it's like, okay, these guys are more important than me. These are sponsors. These are guys that have a vested interest in talking to Al. And so I'm like, I'll just wait here for a minute. I'm sure it'll clear out. It didn't clear out, man. It got worse. The, the mass of people just got bigger and bigger. And then that mass moved down to where all the booths were. And I was like, there goes my chance to shake his hand and say thanks. <laughs> but got to be quicker next time. Pat. But no, he's now he's you just over. got to spend an hour talking with him. Yeah. And he's a wonderful guy. And he's made an impact on my life that I can only just tell you guys that it meant a lot to me today to be able to talk to him. When I was younger, my mom passed away when I was 14. And after my mom passed away, one of my things that was an outlet for me was fishing just to get away, clear my head, get away from life. And my dad, I remember one Saturday, he took me down to Cabela's in Sydney, Nebraska, which is about a hundred miles from Cheyenne. So we went to Sydney, bought some fishing gear, but we also went and we found that they had a rack of in fisherman tapes and books. And so we picked up those things and brought them home. And I was in those things like you wouldn't believe. And on those rough winters of Cheyenne that I, I keep talking about, like the wind and just the crappy fishing that was there, and I don't mean the fish, we would watch those videos and it would get us amped up for that next trip to the gorge to catch smallmouth or that trip that we had that next year where we just clobbered the yellow perch and the walleye at Boyson. Those kind of things really mean a lot to me and just Al and just the way he is, just how he has so much fun, has so much joy around fishing. It's just so inspiring to me. And so having him on was a big deal for me today. So it was great. But I learned that passion, faith, and, and fishing is what he said. But you, if, if you're not having fun in this industry, and he, he really did hit the nail on the head. Yes, it's it's nice to to be able to get to a point where you could make a living at it. But if you want to make money, go to Silicon Valley, go create the next app or whatever the next thing is, and you'll make money and, and live that lifestyle. But he touched on it. He's been in the industry for longer than about anybody, and mm -hmm. he's still working. Yeah, I it's crazy. He's, I believe he's 76 years old and he's still going and just definitely an inspiration to a lot of people. And one of the things I wanted to pass along is if any of you want to try to win a trip to go fishing with Al, you can actually put in for that right now. If you go to anglingedge.com, which is their Linder Media fishing page. So it's anglingedge.com. They have so much information on so many different species of fish. It's mind-blowing because there's just tons of it. And you can order DVDs and a number of other things, but definitely support them. They're a great family, great group of people. Definitely so, take a kid or a new person with you fishing. Yes. Go, go pick a... Go pick smallies. Yeah. And go catch some. And buy them some of these DVDs or show them their YouTube channel for anything. Leftover edge. magazines. Get them excited. In fact, last night before doing this and stuff, I showed the kids. I said, do you want to see who we're going to have on the podcast? And the kids were like, yeah, I do. And so I pulled up YouTube and just played one of their one of their walleye videos. And they were like, oh, man, that's really cool, Dad. And they were all excited. So definitely get people inspired. Get them out there. That's the whole goal, Patrick. Exactly. So again, Thanks to everybody for listening to this podcast. It doesn't happen without support of our listeners, and David and I definitely appreciate it. We do. Uh, sorry you have to listen to me some days. <laughs> or me, for that matter. Some days I'm not all there. But definitely go to our website. We have show notes. We have a lot of different episodes on tons of topics. Bears and elk and walleyes, you name it. We've got a little bit of everything. And then, of course, you can check us out on the social media. If so you want to support that. us, Go get your, get we'll, a hat. we'll ship it to you. They're pretty cool. They're pretty sharp. And of course, go out and subscribe. If you're on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or any of those places that you get your podcasts, subscribe to the podcast, like the podcast. It, please definitely leave us a review. Tell Share your it. friends. Yeah. So anyway, we just want to say thank you again. Again, check us out at radcastoutdoors.com.